0: Three is a magic number, yes it is, it's a magic number, somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity, you get three as a magic number. Hello and welcome to Third Times a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third movie in a film franchise. This is Season 1, Episode 2, Jaws 3D from 1983, directed by Joe Alves. I'm your host, Mike. And with me today is someone you may know from her very own podcast, In Sickness and In Health, or a podcast she co-hosts on this very network with Jordan called Wistful Thinking. Please welcome Kara to the show. Hello, Kara.
1: Hello, Mike. I'm super excited to talk about Jaws 3.
0: Thank you for being my second guest. No problem. Let's talk Jaws tonight. Are you ready to go back in the water?
1: <laughs> oh, hell yes. Hell yes. I am so ready.
0: Tell me briefly your experience with the Jaws franchise overall. Like, how many have you seen? Are you a fan? All that stuff.
1: I have now seen all four of them. Well, and technically there there are kind of more, but not really. Like, I've seen the canon four yeah. Jaws movies. We'll get um. into the
0: expanded shark universe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the original Jaws, one of my favorite movies. It's so good. I just rewatched it during Halloween and then watched Jaws 2 because I knew that we would be recording this one. And I was like, well, I mean, I might as well watch Jaws 2. And then I did. That was interesting. And then I also watched the fourth one, Jaws the Revenge. Is that what it's called?
0: Mm hmm. Jaws the Revenge. It's not Jaws 4. It's Jaws the Revenge. Yes. Yes.
1: Interesting choice. I had seen that in college and I actually just watched it again last night.
0: Wow. So you're all caught up.
1: All caught up. Yeah.
0: It's not required for guests to have seen, you know, the entire saga before coming on the show, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we might be able to get a little more in depth in reference to previous Jaws movies as we go along. Yeah, OG Jaws is a classic. I grew up with it, too, all throughout the 80s, and as a teenager, we watched it. Every time it came out on new media, I'd buy it, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. I had never seen all of Jaws 2. I recently watched it for Halloween as well. I hear you watch some Jaws for Halloween. Uh, I watched some, too, and I realized I'd seen parts of it, and you know, had always thought that, oh, this isn't in part one. I always thought this was, this part was in part, like, I thought (laughs) they fried the fish every once in a while, but that was all part two. Yeah. I've seen part four in theaters as a child.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I was there at the local watching it. You know, it it was scary, you know, as a little 10-year-old, but in retrospect, that movie is just unintentionally hilarious.
1: Yeah, although it wasn't actually as ridiculous as I remembered it being.
0: Getting to Jaws 3D, I'd never seen it. For this show is the first time I actually watched this movie. So for me, that's kind of rare to have a hole in a major franchise that I had not seen yet. Yeah. It was very surprising.
1: (laughs) I actually enjoyed it like way more than I expected to. I was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of shit. Like, It's going to be terrible. It's going to be like not, you know, everything about it is probably going to be bad. But I had fun with it. I really liked it.
0: I think it's a poor movie, but I do like parts of it. I think it has its strengths and weaknesses. There's things about it that Mm -hmm. keep it afloat. I'll just say that. It doggy paddles to the end, but it makes it there.
1: Yeah, those are reasonable metaphors.
0: I actually think this movie goes in a good direction for part three. Mm-hmm. for the franchise this was a good idea like what are your thoughts about that having seen part one and two and being stuck in amity being stuck with sheriff brody not that we don't like sheriff brody but for part three you know this is kind of a good idea
1: yeah i think it really is i think it works it's set at SeaWorld, which is made like infinitely more sinister now having seen blackfish
0: I actually watched that after watching this.
1: Oh yeah, I thought about it, but I watched a, a documentary about shark attacks instead. Nice,
0: yeah. I, I watched a couple big fish movies, Day of the Dolphins, Orca, and Blackfish. Too many, if you ask me.
1: <laughs> if I can recommend just one more, Piranha, which is a, an interesting kind of soul sister, I think, to this movie because when it came out in 2010, it was during another wave of the 3D kind of. Yeah,
0: and the original Piranha is sort of an offspring of Jaws itself and that it is mm-hmm. part of the whole craze that came, you know, Orca as well up until yeah. today, you know. I was talking
1: about the 2010 version though, the one that actually came out in theaters in 3D, which was fantastic. Yeah, that movie <laughs> is
0: great, you know, that has a strikes the perfect tone, mm-hmm. almost feels like they could have gone there with this one. Uh, this movie takes itself just a bit too seriously if it was mm-hmm. as playful as it could be, it might have reached the heights of something like that, like more of a comedy. And yeah. that would have been a good direction, I think, to take the Jaws franchise too. Like, it's just so scary, lighten it up a little bit.
1: I was reading the Wikipedia article. Apparently, they like the original intention was to do that. It was originally going to be called Jaws 3, People Zero, and involved a lot of the people that were involved with National Lampoon. So it was going to go in a very different direction than it did.
0: I actually think this movie has something it's not aware of, you're at a theme park, the attractions are fish, then they start to eat the people there. Sounds a lot like a very successful franchise now called Jurassic Park.
1: Which we recently did on Wistful Thinking. Check out that episode.
0: At this point, there was only Westworld, basically. Westworld was a movie that was out in 73. Future World came out in 76, which was like the year after Jaws. So, you know, that sort of idea of the theme park coming alive and it's going to get you. Yeah. It was a surprising aspect of this movie that I wasn't expecting.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that you bring up Jurassic Park, because something that I learned researching that was that Steven Spielberg, of course, who directed the first Jaws, he said that he was really, with Jurassic Park, just trying to make a really good sequel to Jaws. So, like, you know, these other sequels had failed in doing that, and obviously he wasn't involved at all with any of the sequels. But it's interesting, I think, that this one, like, I wonder how much of the inspiration for Jurassic Park actually came from Jaws 3D.
0: Yeah, I think it was Michael Crichton wrote the novel and he also wrote Westworld, so he was recycling that that. idea. And Mm. perhaps Spielberg saw the opportunity to remake Jaws in a way. That's great, though, because all that stuff is a lot of fun to watch and read and everything. It's a great premise. Yeah. What I think the point of this movie is, though, is it's a big giant SeaWorld commercial.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wrote that down while I was watching it. Yeah.
0: Like, let's talk about SeaWorld. <laughs> have you ever been?
1: I feel like maybe yes. I've definitely been to Florida, and I definitely went to some sort of aquatic theme park. I'm not sure.
0: There was a marine world as well. I don't know how long that lasted, but I'm betting it was it was SeaWorld.
1: Yeah, it might have been. I'm not sure. But it also, now that I'm thinking about it, was... Really, maybe like a knockoff version of SeaWorld, like a very low budget kind of shitty version.
0: No, then it was probably SeaWorld. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because I have the sense that it's low rent. Okay. Especially after watching Blackfish. Yeah. I I was there as well in like 1986. So, you know, I was like six or seven years old at the time. My my memory's hazy. I remember it raining uh, (laughs) and wearing a poncho. (laughs) But Shamu, you're sold this big mascot and like he's having a great time and it's awesome for them And and as a kid, you kind of buy into it because you don't know you're you're at a theme park or you you think you're at a theme park And then after watching Blackfish and watching this, it's like, what? (laughs) It's like, it's just so strange to me how it became like this sea zoo Yeah You know, it's like a zoo for sea creatures and now that's exact, that's the only thing I can see
1: Right. Well, it's it's just an aquarium with like a circus act, basically.
0: I don't know why I can't get over the idea that SeaWorld would be okay with promoting yeah. themselves as, you know, having shark attacks.
1: Yeah, that seems like a questionable choice. And I, I wrote down in my notes at some point, like, is this just a really long SeaWorld commercial? <laughs>
0: It works in the sense that I'm glad they're at some kind of theme park aquarium and they're using that premise, but it's just very strange that it's like brought to you by SeaWorld because, I mean, that's not the only thing either. There's literally a scene when the two brothers are having breakfast in the morning and there's like five product placement items like in the shot. Mm -hmm. Like the whole movie just feels like it was paid for by corporations that just wanted their name on Jaws. Yeah. Getting to the 3D, I take it you didn't have the chance to see this in 3D.
1: I did not, no. (laughs) I don't think many
0: people since it came out in theaters have seen this in 3D. I think there is an actual copy available on Blu-ray. Believe it or not, in 1983, this was one of three Part 3s to be released in 3D. Would you care to attempt and name the two other movies that came out in 3D that year? And I'll give you a hint, they are horror films.
1: Yes, I would, because I, I just read the Wikipedia article before we came here. It was Amityville 3D and Friday the 13th Part 3? Yes. Yes.
0: That is kind of interesting that there's like this trifecta of 3D movies in 1983. It's a big year for 3D. What are your like initial thoughts on 3D in general? Do you go see 3D movies? Do you enjoy them? Have you seen them?
1: I haven't seen a ton. Old-fashioned 3D has historically made me barf. So like if I had gone to see this in theaters, I probably would have thrown up.
0: And that's with the paper glasses with like the red and blue eyes.
1: Yeah, the red and blue exactly, and then there was that big wave of three D stuff around, like when Piranha three D came out, which I think was two thousand and ten. I saw that in the theater, and I saw there was one of the Resident Evil movies they shot in three D that I saw at that time, and I probably saw like a few others, but those were the ones that like really stood out as utilizing the. 3d technology in like a really integrated way instead of just kind of tacking it on after the fact i don't know about piranha 3d but i know that the resident evil movie they shot with 3d cameras so that felt a lot more natural i think than a lot of the other stuff that was coming out even at that time
0: yeah i i like it much more when it's relatable to the story right like when the 3d isn't just mm-hmm. a gimmick but it could actually service the plot or the story or the concept better i remember when avatar came out and then i consider that sort of like a major benchmark for modern 3d and it was like yeah okay it's cool that like we're in 3d but i didn't really feel like it was necessary to tell that story right i kind of stay away from 3d in general i haven't seen a 3D movie since The Force Awakens, not that I didn't enjoy it, but I just kind of find that animation works best in 3D. Like a lot of those Pixar Mm. movies I see from time to time, I used to see those in 3D with my niece and nephew, but I, I generally kind of shy away from 3D for the most part. But it's just, it's amazing that it's a gimmick that has almost been around since the conception of filmmaking in some form or another.
1: Yeah. It keeps bubbling up every few decades.
0: Man, it keeps fighting back. It's like Jaws, you know? Like it just won't stay dead. It's like (laughs) the shark.
1: (laughs) Well, so I have a question about that with the Jaws franchise. Is it the same shark or is it some sort of generational trauma that like gets passed down from one shark to the next? It's hazy. Yeah. Because like in the first movie, they blow the shark up, basically. The second movie, they electrocute the shark to death. The third movie, they blow him up again. And then in the fourth movie, they impale him in the fourth movie. So that one's a little bit different. But I have a hard time believing it's the same shark.
0: I personally don't think it is. I have a couple pieces of evidence towards the end of the podcast that I'll get to and get into. (laughs) But uh, I've come across some information as to the lineage of Jaws a tiny bit. I don't want to overhype this. But uh, I feel like the Brody family believes it's the same shark. Or at least like this shark's family mom like does. The, yeah like the yeah. genes like these are the kids and i kind of buy that i buy it like maybe it's the kids like
1: yeah sure avenging the death of their parents yeah and that
0: sort of happens in this movie right like we get a fake out shark with the baby and the mama Mm-hmm. that's sort of a callback to the original jaws movie i guess where they catch the wrong shark and they you know open up its yeah. belly and uh, it's a poor callback that i don't think is intentional but <laughs> it's there <laughs> I'm going to briefly explain the plot. Okay. Mike Brody, who is the oldest son of Sheriff Brody, is, I don't know, what, like a trainer at SeaWorld? What
1: is his job description? No, I think he's actually like an electrician or like some sort of like facilities person. Oh, that's right. He's like the handyman. But you know what's cool? His girlfriend is the senior biologist on staff.
0: Yes. She's the best character in this entire movie.
1: Easily. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay, so Mike Brody became an electrician at SeaWorld, not traumatized at all by his experiences whatsoever, which I can't say the same for his brother, who moved to Texas and became a cowboy. So then they're at SeaWorld, and a shark gets caught in one of the attractions they capture that shark put it on display as a new attraction and it dies and then they discover that there's another shark it's much bigger and it's way angry and it is also in this attraction and it is going to eat people it is going to destroy the undersea kingdom unless they can destroy it first
1: Right. So like the Undersea Kingdom part was like a brand new thing that they were about to open. So they were kind of like racing against the clock to take care of the shark problem before they start letting people in there.
0: That gave me a Jurassic Park vibe too. The idea that this isn't ready to open is sort of like a dry run in a way. Mm-hmm. That is the only thing they set up perfectly clear, is in the beginning of the movie, Lou Gossack, Jr., who I think is the owner of SeaWorld, again, not sure of his job title here, but he's like, check this out. He's got a nice model of the undersea kingdom. He explains it's this amazing undersea aquarium where you're going to walk through these tunnels, and you're going to see sea life, and it's amazing, and all this. And From there on out, I'm playing catch-up with everything else that's going on. (laughs) Like, immediately, this guy shows up. He's like a cameraman or something, I guess. Fitzroyce? Do you know who I'm talking about? He, like, shows up on a bus with an assistant, and everyone is like, Ah, Fitzroyce. Like, can't believe he showed up. Like, showed his face around here.
1: He's like the Steve Irwin guy, right? Yeah.
0: Okay, you nailed it for me. I was trying to figure out... I watched this twice and I understand he's some kind of photographer.
1: Oh, is he a photographer? <laughs> I thought he was like some sort of like animal expert or something.
0: I guess they all in a sense are like the doctor. So Dr. Morgan played by Bess Armstrong. She's the only one who's actually a doctor, right? Yeah. She's a fish doctor. <laughs> what do they call
1: Marine biologist.
0: <laughs> exactly. She's a marine biologist. She knows exactly what she's talking about. She knows what to do for the most part she's got all the best ideas. Everyone else is kind of talking shit, just trying to save their ass, I feel. And this Fitz royce guy like jumps in the tank with jaws and like a bunch of cameras and he's like, you know, if we don't capture them on film, we'll blow them up and sell that footage. I feel like opportunistic and trying to cash in and sell out is like a underlying theme to this whole thing and like given mm-hmm. that SeaWorld's plastered all over it, it's feeling even stronger. I don't know. What are are your thoughts about, let's say, the way some of these characters are set up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's priority is getting the park open to make as much money as humanly possible. Well, with the exception of Dr. Morgan, who's like, no, these are intelligent animals that we should be studying. Because, like, you know, when they have the shark, she's like, well, we know almost nothing about these creatures. Like, let's keep it and try and study it and we'll have this edge as the only facility in the world that has a great white shark in captivity. And, you know, we can learn so much from this and everyone else is like, okay, but how can we make as much money as possible as soon as possible? And that's kind of like the driving conflict, I think, through most of the movie until the shark starts coming directly for them.
0: What you described to me kind of sounds like I imagine the boardroom meeting at Universal was like when they decided, okay, we got Jaws as a franchise, let's just bleed it dry. Yeah. (laughs) This movie is like, it's not ready. It doesn't matter. It looks like crap. So what? The 3D is not good. Whatever. We're cashing in. This movie is like a metaphor for itself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting juxtaposition.
0: Did you notice Leah Thompson?
1: Of course I noticed Leah Thompson. This is pre-Back to the Future Leah Thompson. Looking cute as hell. She's one of the water skiers, right?
0: She's like one of like seven characters in this movie we follow. Yeah. You know, we got Dennis Quaid as Mike Brody. We have his brother, Sean Brody, played by some guy, John Putch. I've never heard of this guy. He's like in and out of this movie.
1: (laughs) What a name.
0: Bess Armstrong as Dr. Morgan, we got Fitz Royce, we've got Lewis Gossack Jr. in here as Bouchard, who may or may not run SeaWorld, then there's Leah Thompson. So like, it's just, it's crazy to me that a main character in a movie is a—is one of like 30, 40 water skiers, you know, it's like, we're yeah. just gonna pick this random water skier and like follow her storyline and integrate her into this movie.
1: Yeah. The water skiing, though, one of the best parts of the movie, it's really quite a spectacle.
0: I would wager the best part of the movie are all of the, you know, for lack of a better term, water sports.
1: I don't know. What do you call them? Yeah. The term water sports actually originated in relation to these sorts of activities and not what uh, often comes to mind when people hear that term. <laughs> <laughs> but Here's the other thing,
0: though. I remember SeaWorld, even though I was like a little six-year-old idiot, it's in Orlando I don't remember any water except for what was in the tanks yeah this is all fabricated this is like the lie on top of the lie you go see Jaws 3 you want to go to SeaWorld not because of the fish but you want to see water skiing because that's your favorite part of the movie you want to see you know the people making the pyramids which is so impressive and then you get there and it's not part of the attraction
1: yeah I would be very bummed out Water skiing is very hard. Those pyramids are really impressive.
0: <laughs> have you ever tried water skiing?
1: I have. I was weirdly, surprisingly good at it, but it's not something that I engage in on a regular basis.
0: I tried once. As soon as it took off, I felt like flat on my face and it dragged me for a couple <laughs> seconds and I let go of the oh, ring and I was just like, screw this. I wasn't meant to water ski, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if Leah Thompson actually, I, I would imagine maybe I watched a really boring making of Jaws 3 on YouTube, she was like, "Uh, you know, I had to learn to do all this stuff in the water, and like, I never swam in deep sea, only in like a pool, and I never water skied before, and all this stuff, so maybe she's really up there, I don't know, could be.
1: What a wonderful special skill for your resume.
0: Yeah, for your first movie, it's like, I've acquired this ability already, but yeah, there wasn't any water skiing later in any of her movies, so that just fell to the wayside
1: what a missed opportunity honestly i think they could have had a really great water skiing subplot in back to the future
0: especially the third one yeah somehow in the old west and like introduced water skiing the way marty introduced skating into the 50s (laughs) Luke lukasuk jr is a pretty familiar face to me but i would say the most famous person in this movie is like dennis quaid
1: I mean, I guess so. I was actually thinking about Dennis Quaid the other day before I even watched this movie because somebody like, mentioned him on a podcast and I was like, I know who he is. I know what he looks like. I don't know if I could name any movie that he's been in. And now I'm browsing his IMDb page and I don't think I've seen any of these.
0: Space is the only thing that comes to mind every time I think of him, which I saw, I think, like the week after Jaws the Revenge in the same movie theater. So it was around that time. It's funny to see, like, who gets their start in a horror film or in a sequel or in a, you know, a third part, a fourth part, a fifth part of a franchise. Yeah.
1: But you know who's in the fourth Jaws? Michael Caine. What the fuck is that about?
0: There's a pretty funny story that goes around the internet. I think there's footage of him confirming this. He has never seen the movie and he (laughs) did it because they shot in the Bahamas and it bought him a house. So he's like, why not?
1: Oh, yeah, that's fair. I'm fairly certain that the only reason that movie is set in the Bahamas is that they were like, hey, let's make a movie in the Bahamas and then we can just be in the Bahamas.
0: This isn't a Jaws 4 podcast, but we're going to touch upon the (laughs) revenge a little bit later. All right. Overall, this movie is just pretty boring. What do you think?
1: Um, I don't know. I actually found it pretty engaging. I mean, yeah, I've watched a lot of bad movies recently, though.
0: What worked best for you? Like, what parts did you like the most?
1: Well, as I mentioned, definitely the water skiing. (laughs) I also, I don't know, I'm just like a weirdly seafaring person. I like water things, things that are set on water, in water.
0: Here's what kind of surprised me. I have a feeling like this movie is 50-50 shot above and underwater. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know, I couldn't find any info about how much of this is... Shop underwater but i just was like watching it going you know everything is underwater in this movie like that's that's kind of a feat i suppose
1: yeah yeah i did notice that too because they even like go under like in a little submersible thing and do a lot of scuba diving and shooting underwater can like kind of make it seem more interesting and impressive than it is
0: i guess you could say it is like a visual shortcut like everything just does look a little cooler underwater yeah and most Jaws movies from this point have taken a place like above water, you know? It's like going underwater mm-hmm. is like, no, man, like don't even, you know, you don't want to want your foot in the water. And these guys are just swimming around underwater and they don't know, yeah. but we know that at any time.
1: Well, also, I think like a technique that's employed a lot throughout the Jaws franchise is like shooting from the shark's perspective. You know, and like that kind of lecherous, predatory eye, which they take to like the next level by shooting underwater so much in this one.
0: And then they take it to the third dimension (laughs) by having shark's point of view in 3D when it's looking at Dennis Quaid through the underwater glass while he's trying to convince Lou Gossick Jr. that there's a shark and they're eating dinner. And then there's just like that really one of many awkward shots where they're like pointing towards the camera and it's shark vision and they're just like shark, shark, Mm. shark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't, that didn't hold up great.
0: You watched this on Netflix, correct? Yeah. Did it kind of look terrible to you just in general?
1: Of course it did,
0: yes. Okay, I needed to know why and since you read the Wikipedia, I'm sure you know, but I guess for my listeners. Yeah. Since this was shot in a 3D process that basically shot the left and the right eye and then it would, project it at the same time. For home video, we're only looking at like one side or one half of the film. They basically this is like what they shot for the left eye, I think is what is said. Yeah. Not only are all of the three D effects matted to two D, but we're getting half the resolution that you would ever get from an actual picture. Because we're literally only seeing half of the movie, <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah, the uh the matting is not so good. It's rough,
0: like, ah. It's
1: really bad. Well, apparently, there were many difficulties in making the green screen compositing work, and they had to reshoot a lot of it. So, like, if this is the reshoots, yikes. Imagine what the original looked like. It's hard to
0: kind of remember, but this is still the age of practical effects, and the (laughs) shark is a big, dumb rubber shark in this, and it's just super obvious. Although, I'll give it two or three menacing shots, strictly because of its... Profile and everything. It gets away with one or two uh, scary Mm -hmm. moments there. But special effects in general around this time are kind of wonky.
1: There's a great corpse, though. Really good corpse. Like the
0: practical effects as far as the gore and stuff were good. Like Leah Thompson gets attacked and she has this huge gash on her leg and it, I thought it was very convincing. Yeah. The actual attacks themselves, while they're not really well staged or shot or anything, like they're still. Kind of interesting. There's the one where the guy gets like stuck in Jaws's mouth. Mm-hmm. Like never seen that in a Jaws movie before. And uh,
1: there's also a few times they're actually <laughs> it's actually shot from inside the mouth.
0: I thought that was really interesting. That was a. I think I feel like that's a new perspective. We haven't seen that in a Jaws yeah. film.
1: Yeah, definitely. See, they're doing a couple things
0: right in terms of you know where do you take. Jaws. What can you really do with him after having him comb the beach for two movies with the same cast? Mm -hmm. I think I would have preferred it a little more if we didn't have the Brody Bros. (laughs) That dynamic never clicks. It never really picks up any steam. And then once Leah Thompson's attacked, like his brother is just out of the movie. It doesn't even help to kill the shark that could have been the shark that killed his friends or whatever, you know? Yeah. I was a little strange to see, like, a major character introduced and then rushed out of the film so quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he was just there, especially because Mike doesn't seem to be traumatized by multiple episodes in his childhood of, like, being either attacked by or very nearly attacked by sharks. So, like, it's almost like his character is just there to remind everyone that there were these previous two movies and like a normal human being would have been traumatized by that.
0: Yeah and I think there's maybe one other reference to the previous Jaws movies where Mike Brody is walking on the beach with Dr. Morgan and he's kind of explaining my brother doesn't go in the water there were shark attacks when we were younger he kind of goes through briefly brings everybody up to speed Mm -hmm. it's sort of that moment I was actually expecting that we don't get and we didn't get this for Superman 3 either and I'm kind of keeping track I actually expected there to be a bit of a sort of clip show summary before the opening of this you know like almost like previously on Jaws or something, or like in, in case you haven't <laughs> seen the other movies, but but I almost feel like this movie is not concerned with you having seen the other movies, maybe because everyone in the world had seen Jaws back then. Yeah. It is kind of like, don't worry if you haven't seen those movies.
1: Yeah. And I think it works as a standalone movie. I mean, it would be really sad if this was the only Jaws movie that you ever saw in your lifetime. That would be very sad for you. But I think if that were to be the case, you could watch this and be like, "Hmm, it wasn't great. But like, you didn't really necessarily need to know what happened in the previous two movies.
0: I wish that someone cared enough to give this like a special edition where they really reshot the 3D and cleaned everything up and all that kind of thing because there's like two types of 3D in this movie there's there's those terrible mat shots where you get mm-hmm. like the floating arm or at the end you have jaws coming toward
1: the screen which I think is my favorite part in the movie because it's it's hilarious because it's not Moving very quickly. And so for a few seconds, it looks like it's just suspended and like motionless. And then you realize, oh, it's coming toward us. Oh, this is probably something that might have looked better in 3D. But it just is so goofy and hilarious. I really liked that a lot.
0: It almost looked like someone cut a photo out of a magazine of Jaws. Yeah. Like it was just sort of pasted on the moving background or something. And Was forcing a perspective or something, and then it crashes through the C Lab window and drowns everybody. Like, that's it again, like the glass flying toward the screen is pretty poor. But then there's these other moments where it's like 3D shots, but not processed that way. So when they're sort of filling the syringe with the trank that they're going to use to stab Jaws with. Like, the guy's, like, filling the syringe and then does, like, the yo-yo shot where he, like, shoots it, like, tests it toward the camera. There's another shot where Mike is sort of testing his, um... He's got, like, a crossbow at the end. He's going to shoot Jaws with a crossbow, and he shoots it, like, directly at the screen, and it comes, like, flying at the screen. Like, it's just strange to me how they mixed... 3d types in this movie like that just stick to what works try and make everything practical if you can but did you notice that they that they were doing
1: the switcheroo like that um no i don't think i did notice that but that makes sense i wonder how much of it was like they had to go back and be like oh we need more 3d in this 3d movie you know that's
0: possible just some quick inserts yeah because it starts pretty strong like the opening titles there's the terrible floating headfish
1: <laughs> which I found this interesting in the first two jaws movies both of those open with a human being attacked by a shark and this one it's an eel that gets attacked by a shark so they kind of like broke the uh, the formula right from the outset
0: and this movie loves eels too because later in the undersea kingdom it does. There's, like, the fake funhouse eel that shoots out, and then there's, yeah. like, a real eel outside of, like, the window inside the little lagoon area as well. I think maybe they thought that things would just pop underwater in 3D just, you know, because of the floatiness and everything's in motion. And maybe they were just like, yeah, like, let's get more bang for our buck. We'll just shoot 3D underwater. and It takes care of itself. We're halfway there. Yeah. It's unfortunate that the movie looks poor, like there's a lot of grain, the three D effects are poor. Like none of this is helping any any <laughs> any of the rewatch or, you know, the recommendability of this. However, I do feel like it tries to break itself out of tradition, you know, and I think that's what mm-hmm. this show in a way is like about. Like trying to find out like if a story, if characters can transcend from their home you know from where they're born like can jaws leave amity and still be a jaws movie yeah and i think it can it just you know it needed better production
1: yeah better story better everything
0: yeah i feel like this is just jaws by committee
1: yeah Something that people say a lot about Jaws is like, oh, it's so effective because you barely see the shark. And it's like, the less that you see of it, the more terrifying that it is. And I think when I rewatched the original Jaws a few weeks ago, I was like, you know, there's a lot more shark in this movie than I remembered. But I think in this one, they actually show the shark significantly less than they did in the original Jaws.
0: It's crazy because the director of this movie, this is his only movie he ever directed.
1: No, he was the production designer on the first two.
0: That's it. So he was the production designer. It's crazy to me that someone with experience with the shark by the third movie couldn't get it to look any better. Like that blows my mind. My favorite, and it's like not because it's a good moment, but I guess my favorite bad moment in the movie is when Lou Lugasic Jr. tells them to put baby jaws on... Display and the doctor like freaks out and jumps in the tank, and the shark just kind of bellies up. Yeah, and it just feels like it broke you know, like the animatronic broke, or that this is just a big, giant rubber shark, let go of it, and it's just gonna flop on its back or something. (laughs) I'm surprised that by the third movie, when we see it, it looks like a toy. Yeah, (laughs) I think this movie was 18 million dollars or something like that, so it's not like they you know had a fortune to work with either but it just feels like they were overconfident with the 3D idea and they just were trying to cash in a little too quick and if they had just polished this idea a little more i feel like it could have been you know and i'm i don't want to go i'm not going nuts or anything but like this could have been like an early good sort of Jurassic Park in a lot of ways like jaws could have been that yeah i just love that about this movie too i feel like that's its merit you know like that's why I feel like it works the most is because there's that sort of kernel in there somewhere deep inside of of that premise.
1: Yeah. I also think if they had gone in that national lampoon comedy direction, like that could have worked really well too. But they didn't do either of those things and kind of like split down the middle and just not great.
0: Yeah, it feels like a little of that comedy sort of crept in here a little bit in some places. But you're right. I feel like they really should have trusted those instincts and pushed it. Because if you think about the majority of Jaws, quote unquote, ripoffs, a lot of them play it as satire, you know, or for Mm -hmm. jokes or for laughs. Like you take the Piranha 2010 and subsequent movies and, and, you know, like your Sharknadoes or whatever, even stuff like Lake Placid. Those are sort of more dissections of the premise as opposed to really taking it seriously. Yeah. Okay, so one thing about this movie that I felt was set up and never paid off was the idea that maybe Jaws was going to fight Shamu. (laughs) Did you ever possibly get that might happen? Or at least, you know, he does fight the dolphins, but did you think that that was going to be more of a
1: thing? I don't know what I wrote down when I saw the orca scene was just a note of like how ominous that was after seeing blackfish. So I think I was just like more preoccupied. I mean, I would have loved to see that. That would have been great. But I, I think I was just more preoccupied with like the ugh feeling of it than anything else. Well, I would have liked to see more like dolphin shark fight happen. Cause they get so close and in real life, like dolphins can attack sharks and can like kill sharks. So, like, that would have been sweet if there was like a duel between dolphins and the shark.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was sort of blown away that actress Bess Armstrong was actually riding that killer whale. Like, after seeing, you know, blackfish, it's like, oh man, like, that is, that was super risky. But yeah, you know, it's I was definitely expecting the other fish to come to the human's rescue at some point. There's a very shocking scene in the opening of the movie, Orca, where to prove its point, to prove that it's sort of like bigger and badder than Jaws, an orca takes out a great white shark in like the opening sequence and it just like rams it and like crushes it, I guess. And I guess that movie is trying to say like it's possible that this whale could take out this shark. Unfortunately, it's not in, in 3D. Okay, so anything you want to add, Kara? before we move on?
1: Okay, I have a near-miss Keanu Club crossover to talk about. So Richard Matheson, who's a a sci-fi writer, father of Chris Matheson, who was one of the Bill and Ted writers, Richard Matheson actually wrote an outline of Jaws 3, and he says it was a a very interesting outline, but the story is credited to some other writer. How about that?
0: It feels like a lot of chefs in the kitchen yeah or should i say a lot of trainers at Seaworld. i don't know <laughs> dude i think that's the thing i think the matheson is the is the link is the sort of the germ
1: yeah that grain of like something that might actually be good
0: yeah because that's that sci-fi sort of horror edge that he brings you know I feel like Crichton bites him off Mm. he's sort of a protege of the Matheson era and I feel like that's sort of where Westworld came from and all that kind of thing so very cool
1: Yeah.
0: alright so on my show I have a segment called Book Club this is only the second show so this is only the second book for at least for season one of Third Times a Charm I have acquired novelizations of just about all of the movies I'm going to be talking about (laughs) and we had a lot of fun last time with Superman 3 that was a terrible book And, unfortunately, there is no Jaws 3D, the novelization. Here's the deal. Jaws was based on a book by Peter Benchley. There was a book, Jaws 2, based on the original screenplay for Jaws 2 that wasn't used, that the movie eventually became something else. There's no novelization for that. There is, however, a novelization of Jaws the Revenge, which I read, in place of Jaws 3D, because... My thing here with the book club, Kara, if you're still with me I'm
1: still here.
0: <laughs> let me ask what do you what do you think of this whole book club segment concept are you Are you with me so far?
1: Yeah, as long as I don't have to like actually read a whole book,
0: <laughs> you just have to listen. respond if the urge strikes you
1: That's great. I listen to audiobooks all the time, okay.
0: So my whole thing about it is, you know, I want I wanted to sort of get into the head of these characters a little more. What are they thinking? You know, it was a lot of fun to see what Superman was thinking between the scenes and everything. So I, I just really wanted to know what the shark was thinking, if any of the book was from his perspective at all. So I managed to acquire the Jaws the Revenge book, and there's a few passages, and and I'm surprised. Like, I read this whole book over the weekend. This book is 313 pages. The movie Jaws the Revenge is like 82 minutes. (laughs) I don't know how they stretch this shit out with, like, this whole subplot of Michael Caine being a drug runner working for the DEA.
1: Oh, wow.
0: The shark was actually brought to the Bahamas because there's a curse.
1: Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) It takes place in the Bahamas because the mom from the original Jaws movies decides that she needs to get away from Amity Island because the shark is just going to keep coming from her family. So why not go someplace else with a ton of water?
0: But Great Whites aren't supposed to be attracted to the Bahama waters.
1: Yeah, it's too warm So something
0: left out of the movie that's in the book is that there's a voodoo curse on the Brody family. Okay. And the shark is like a bad omen there to sort of take them out, take them off the island, get rid of them. It's terrible. It's a very bad read. Here's what's interesting. Okay, so this story is like Jaws 3D may as well never have happened. Mhm. It's like a lost movie. Like, they never reference it. They reference Jaws 1 and 2, but never Jaws 3.
1: Interesting. But not surprising because... Even though Mike's girlfriend, Dr. Morgan, now wife in Jaws the Revenge, it's a different... All of the actors are different, but also she has a different name and instead of being a scientist, she's an artist, which is okay. I'm okay with that, I guess. But like, they have the exact same haircut, so like, I don't know if they're supposed to maybe be the same woman, but not. But I don't know. It's very confusing. Also, between Jaws 3D and Jaws the Revenge, the younger brother, Sean, is it? Yep. In Jaws 3D, he's terrified of the water, right? That's like his whole thing. He, he doesn't want to go anywhere near the water. And then in Jaws The Revenge, he is an Amity Island police officer who goes out on a boat to like get something out of the water.
0: Yeah, he's basically his dad from the first movie. Right. Never left Amity. Never went and became a cowboy. Right. You know, Mike is now, he is the marine biologist, but there's no reference of SeaWorld whatsoever. You know, they never talk about it, uh, anything that happened there. Catherine is now Carla, and they have a daughter. Mm -hmm. It's all upside down. It's crazy. I mean, it may as well, though. It may as well be Jaws 3, the redo, in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, we're just going to do an extra episode here with no connection. But this is, even though this isn't a Jaws the Revenge podcast, we take an extended look at the entire franchise from time to time. So I guess without further ado, Kara, if you will indulge me, please, for a few moments. Mm -hmm. Many of these passages are brief. Jaws the Revenge, the terrifying new adventure by the author of Jaws 2, Hank Searles. Based on the screenplay by Michael D. Guzman and inspired by Peter Benchley's Jaws. Page 9 the great white had a wide range of hearing he could pick up sounds at half the frequency a human could and was equally attracted to a struggling fish or a banging oil drum the veins filled with liquid running from his head to his tails sensed differences in water pressure around him through him, he could detect the presence of a swimming seal or a drifting boat or a pelican in the waves. His head was covered with pores that were electrical sensors, and his body with many more. Like a minesweeper, he could find targets beneath the mud, skates, stingrays, and tin cans, which he sometimes scooped up with the rest and which caused him no digestive problems at all.
1: Lucky. It's nice
0: to be a shark, have that stomach. Right? I gotta tell you, like this is making me wish for the guy who wrote Superman 3. Because this stuff, this book was so boring. Page 31, and oh, this is bizarre. I did not know this, but we'll get into it, I guess, after I read this passage here. The great white drifted lazily for a while. He was near waters in which he'd been conceived, sired by a male almost as big as he. His mother, enormous, gravid with young, had swept through Amity Sound like death itself, bearing him, three sisters, and another brother in her right uterus, and three more young in her left. For two years he had lived in utero. He had eaten, with his remaining brother and sisters, thousands of his mother's unfertilized eggs and some 30 weaker siblings in the womb. Sharks eat each other before they're born. That's a shark fact.
1: Is that an accurate shark fact?
0: Well, I looked up a few shark facts.
1: Well, I am elbow deep in some shark gynecology right now. I pulled up something that says shark embryos cannibalize their litter mates in the womb with the largest embryo eating all but one of its siblings. And now researchers know why. It's part of a struggle for paternity in utero where babies of different fathers compete to be born. Wow. patriarchy, even inside shark uteruses.
0: So thank you, Jaws the Revenge, the novel for bringing that up.
1: I had no idea that sharks can have two uteruses. That's crazy. They're
0: incredible animals. They really
1: are. Why did they never mention this during shark week? I feel like that's an important shark fact.
0: I mean, they got to pick it up, man. They're dropping the ball.
1: They really have in recent years. It's been not great. One more shark fact. This is really interesting that sharks actually just ate in the womb because sharks are fish. They're not mammals. Oh, okay. I don't think that fish usually do that. Anyway, just shark gynecology is fascinating.
0: Fish cast, ladies and gentlemen, and coming soon <laughs> to the Cage Club. We're all, we're all going to be oceanographers. <laughs> um, here we go. Page 180. This is Jaws struggling with a harpoon that has been, um, he's been, he's been stabbed with this tracking device in Jaws the Revenge. The harpoon point was festering inside him, and the shortened shaft grew sore, but the transmitter he carried on his flank did not change his life at all. Somewhere in his tiny brain, a memory remained of the boat that had dodged him everywhere the previous day and which had caused him all his hurt. He noticed its absence and would know it when he met it once again. Something in its look and feel and smell aroused him. Hmm. Basically, Jaws in Jaws 4 has like this incredible memory. And maybe sharks do. Maybe great whites have this memory that they can remember every human smell and sound that they ever come across. I don't know. Again, there's a lot of voodoo in this book, which is very problematic.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say that Jaws the Revenge is like, now with 80% more racism, because it's like the only... Well, no, I mean, there are people of color in some of the other movies, but...
0: It's very much like this, where it's like a commercial for the Bahamas, you know, it's like the big lies, (laughs) like, come where it's safe and white people won't get mugged. Again, like, come to the Bahamas where there's great white sharks. Like, what are these places thinking? Amity was a fictional... Whatever. All right, a few more, but we're almost done. Page 213. The great white shark, far out on masthead sound, swam silently, listening as only his species could, totally, from the tip of his nose to his pointed tail. His ears were tiny ducks, invisible to man, but inside them lay three chambers. Each was tuned exquisitely by the eons to the scale of an oceanic symphony that ranged from the deep bass groans of the humpback whales to the chittering of shrimp. I mean, damn, this guy's like a mutant with, like, X-Men-like abilities. Like, I would be Sharkman, just judging on its amazing senses. Sure. So I kind of got a kick out of this. There's sort of like a very bizarre tit for tat, and I don't know if it's a joke or not, but it's absolutely a sign of the times. So on page 235, Mike Brody says about the sculpture that his wife is creating. He is not allowed to see what his wife is sculpting in the garage. But at this point in the book, his mom and his daughter both have been able to see it. And he says he still had not been allowed to look at the figure, although Ellen and Thea had women, dot, dot, dot.
1: Ah, women.
0: Now on page 304, Mike's mom, and maybe this is, you know, maybe he gets this from his mom, I don't know. But very late in in the story here on page 304. Okay, so Mike has an assistant, and his assistant has a wife, and his wife is doing his assistant's laundry at home while they're out having their adventure against Jaws. And so when he's on the boat, He's got mixed matched laundry or something like that. Anyway, here here's what Mike's mom has to say. About Mike's assistant. He had abandoned his shoes before the plane was ditched. Now carefully he laid down the pole and strobe and drew off his socks. They didn't match, she noticed. Brown and beige. Men dot 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 Ugh
1: oh, Men
0: Books. I mean,
1: what is going on? <laughs> Okay, so if I'm to place that uh, within the context of the movie, his mom has, like, commandeered a sailboat on her own to go out and find the shark. I'm not sure if she's, like, she wants to, like, sacrifice herself to the shark or she wants to kill the shark. She's driven by
0: madness, it seems.
1: Okay, well, that, you know, women.
0: An overwhelming sense that, like, this is the last straw. The shark had just tried to eat her granddaughter unsuccessfully on, like, some kind of banana boat.
1: Banana boat, yeah.
0: She's done. She's had enough of this shit.
1: But, so she steals a sailboat. She doesn't seem to have a plan. And then they crash land the plane on the water, get out of the plane, and so that now they're on this sailboat trying to put this, like, electrical thing into the shark to make it go insane.
0: Yeah, they're trying to fry it, like, tase it to death.
1: Right. So like in the middle of all of this, this is what she notices that her son's assistant is wearing two slightly mismatched socks because like brown and beige are like not that different.
0: That's what you get. That's the juice from the novelization. You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) That's how they made it have so many pages.
0: That's where it comes from. That's how you really expand something that just has no need to be expanded anymore. Okay, so we have the grand finale one here, and it's not even that great. I just, you know, it's just the last little bit. Like, I'm literally reading, like, 90% of all of the shark stuff, aside from, like, a few minor incidents where it eats a guy wind sailing and tries to eat, like, um, a drug runner and some minor things. But I, I kind of like this. This will cap it off. Page 283. Of all the creatures of the ocean, he was best adapted to his environment. Molded exquisitely by the eons for destruction of the slow and the weak, he was a tool of evolution. Hardly a single species that swam the seas or flew above them had not benefited throughout the ages from his winnowing of the losers. Without him and other lesser predators, the oceanic chain of feeding would lose its balance. He was an equalizer, a dealer in elemental, primordial justice, without preference or favoritism. If something moved... struck it. If a pelican dived inexpertly and did not recover quickly, the pelican was finished, and all of its future progeny too.
1: So he's just explaining what an apex predator is.
0: (laughs) I was really hoping it was like, you know, the shark literally is like, I sense the Brodies, or you know, or something, or like, there's blood Mm -hmm. in the water, I must get close. Like, I thought I was going to get some shark POV, but no, nothing like that. There is a typo on page 306. Yeah. yeah. It says it says the sharp leapt again and crashed down, but now the heartbeat was gone. So I think it was supposed to be the shark leapt again and
1: crashed down. So it's spelled sharp with a p. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. That, like this is a, a book about a shark and you can't even get that right.
0: Going through it like I'm not sure what word occurs more, eons or shark. But thank you very much, Kara, for putting up with that.
1: Thank you for sharing.
0: There's one other book that doesn't exist for a film I'm doing in season one. I have all the books for season two. And if we get to season three, I might have to ditch this. Not that it's (laughs) expensive because all these cost like a dollar. Basically, no one wants these books except for me. But I just feel like the bit will have definitely run its course by then. If not by the end of season one, (laughs) see how agitated my guests get.
1: (laughs) Who knows? You might find some real gems, some literary gems. Okay,
0: so we're here at the end. I got I got one final thing I guess I want to ask you that I'm going to try to remember to ask my guests. And I hope I don't put you on the spot too much, but I would like to know, what would you do with this franchise? Is there anything that you could think of? And, you know, I understand there's all these offshoots all these shark movies they've done so much with it but what do you think about like jaws the franchise is there any life left is there anywhere you would take it
1: i think i would give the people what they want and do a full shark pov with voiceover like you hear the the thoughts of the shark i like it yeah i'm not sure if i would make it more accurate about sharks or less accurate about sharks have to make a choice and go in one direction or the other because as effective as some of these movies are they are very wrong about sharks but yeah i mean also i would definitely explore more of that shark uterus territory i feel like there's a lot there there's a lot there that needs to be (laughs) unpacked. for me that that's partially like
0: the main thing is if they do jaws in particular i feel like everyone's going to want to see what they're going to do with it so you sort Mm -hmm. of have this built-in audience in a way that, like, Lake Placid or, you know, Deep Blue Sea. Another classic. Which is sort of, a lot of people feel is a spiritual sort of Jaws 5 in a lot of ways. Like, you know, a lot of people Mm. think maybe that would have been, they should have just called that Jaws 5. Yeah, they definitely could have. One thing I think that they could benefit from with this franchise is make it, like, super sneaky educational like that, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that would be how I make a movie. (laughs) Like sneak attacking people into learning things. Because like
0: sharks are just getting more popular every day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Kids love sharks. Adults love... Everyone loves them even though they could eat you and they're terrifying too. But like we love them anyway. They're so interesting and gonna probably sound like a broken record but you gotta just keep the shark and introduce new characters try to make them interesting and that dilemma interesting i mean i would love it if it was more shark point of view found footage from the shark's point of view (laughs) the whole movie or something (laughs) but yeah definitely spending more time from that perspective Would be a strong way to go. Spend more time with the shark. Get inside its head if you can somehow. I don't know how to do it. I'm not that good a writer.
1: Inside its reproductive system. Yeah.
0: And uh, as you're fighting them, you know, make sure you're spouting out like all these facts about it so that like if you ever come across a great white and you're in peril, you'll know what to do as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, the truth is though, you're probably not going to get attacked by a shark. And if you do get attacked by a shark, the chances that it will actually kill you are actually extremely slim, even a great white shark, because what they'll do, and this is this was a glaring error in Jaws 3D. Dr. Morgan said that it's exhibiting a typical feeding pattern, and what she meant by that was that it was like getting a taste of something, and, well, this is kind like the there's a kernel of truth to this but not really and that is like getting a taste for something and then coming back for it but that thing is human flesh (laughs) with white sharks in particular like they'll come and they'll take like a test bite and figure out if it's actually something that they want to eat so the reason that most people are not killed when they get attacked by sharks is that the test bite is like oh no that's not a seal I don't want to eat that Humans are are disgusting. But what it really is probably is like more of a textural problem that like they're used to eating like seals and sea lions and stuff that have like three or so inches of blubber. And so biting into a human... Well, I mean, it depends on the human, I guess. But biting into a human, it's like there's just like less juicy goodness, I guess, than biting into a seal. But I did tell you before we started recording that I came across a news article published today by the venerable New York Daily News that some woman was actually mauled to death by a shark while scuba diving off the coast of Costa Rica. In this case though it was a tiger shark and apparently she sustained very bad bites to her legs so you have some like really big arteries that carry blood to your legs like your femoral artery so if that gets severed you'll probably die but otherwise if you get bit by a shark you'll probably be fine.
0: And I also feel like Great whites have like bad PR. They do. Like any shark that bites somebody, they get blamed. <laughs> you, know, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was a tiger shark. Wow. Well, yeah. Blame the great white.
1: Tiger sharks, I think, are are more likely to attack humans. Bull sharks are more likely to attack humans. It depends. Also, I mean, most shark attacks are really just the confluence of like two organisms being in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Yeah, encroaching on their environments.
1: Right. So the original text of Jaws was kind of based on this series of shark attacks that happened at the beginning of the 20th century in, of all places, New Jersey. Wouldn't be a Cage Club podcast if we didn't mention New Jersey, I don't think. And so that was kind of the beginning of, not necessarily the beginning, but the beginning of like the popular lore of shark attacks, because this was humans for the first ish time were suddenly bathing in the ocean for fun you know and like instead of just fishing or doing whatever and and so when you have more people in the water of course they're more likely to come into contact with sharks and ecosystems changing as they have over the last century or so due to the acidification of the ocean and uh, global warming and like all sorts of stuff um, it's actually more likely that Jaws would happen now than it was when the movie was originally made because when the movie was originally made great white sharks did not frequent the area of Cape Cod that uh, Jaws is set in and now they actually track great white sharks there like all the time and sometimes they even have to close the beaches
0: so it's like one of those times where reality has caught up to fiction.
1: Yeah, which is really interesting because that's actually happened a couple times with the movies that we've watched for Wistful Thinking. Like you were on the Net episode, which is way more plausible now than it was when it was made. And even, I think, to a certain extent, Jurassic Park is slightly more plausible. You know, it's like we live in a world where it's like, oh, I that. We're not quite there with the science, but we're more there with the science than we were when it was made.
0: I mean, we're cloning dogs and cats, so dinosaurs, yeah. maybe not our lifetime, but a generation or two away. Ooh, shark facts.
1: Oh, yeah. I could talk about sharks forever.
0: We're here at the end, and this might not be the best place to mention it. In next episode, I'm going to try and mention this a little earlier, but this movie actually had three taglines. <laughs> so before I sign off, I just want to give these three taglines. Jaws 3D, Reaching New Depths of Terror...
1: Oh, okay. Not bad.
0: Jaws 3D: The third dimension is terror.
1: I like that one.
0: That's better. That integrates the technology, the 3D. Jaws 3D: A deadly new attraction. See, there's that Jurassic Park shit again.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: That's the episode for Jaws 3D. Thank you very much, Kara, for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me and my shark facts here.
0: Absolutely, and hope to have you back pretty soon. For all things Third Times of Charm, you can go to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or cageclubpod at Twitter. You can find this show. You can find Kara's show, Wistful Thinking, which is a great show. Subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. Email us at three at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. Thank you everybody for joining me and we'll see you next time. Three, Three. that's a magic number. It is, it's the magic number. Three makes the me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean? Coming up next on Third Time's a Charm. United Artists and Chartoff Winkler proudly present Rocky III.